Well, I had a former professor who had his first church in Indiana. And uh, one day in that church, his, um, a member came to him and said this, Pastor, I was here long before you came, and I will be here long after you leave. Don't try to change me. Now, can you imagine saying that to the new pastor? Can you imagine saying that? Uh, Pastor, it's nice that you're here, but I want you to understand something. I don't have the slightest interest in changing, so don't even try. Now, I've been a Christian for uh, about many years since I was a teenager, and I've learned this. People aren't capable of changing other people. You can't change me. I can't change you. Who's the only one who can change us? Yeah, God is. And I have to be very honest with you. I am very concerned what what that man may have really been saying is this. I don't want God to change me. I'm afraid that that's what he may have meant, even if he didn't realize it. My old professor, Howard Hendricks, used to say this. He said, to be a Christian is to be called to the greatest change imaginable. In fact, the very essence of what it means to be a Christian is to change. Jesus said this in Matthew 18, verse 3. He said, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And if we don't want to change, you know what? We have really misunderstood what it means to know God. Now, David understood this. He knew if I know the God who is omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, and perfectly just, he will change me. Uh, Richard Foster is a writer who has written much on the Christian life, and this is what he said, to stand before the Holy One of Israel is to change. And then he said this, if worship does not change us, it hasn't been worship. Now this morning, as we come to the last message in our series from Psalm 139 on knowing God, We're coming to a message that we've simply entitled, How God Changes Us. And it's the last two verses of this psalm. Because David understood, if I know this God that I've been describing in this wonderful psalm, this God is going to change me. And David gives to us one of the greatest prayers in the Bible. It is a prayer that, Lord, would you change me? I invite you to take your Bibles this morning and look with me at these verses as we come to the end of this psalm. They are very, very wonderful verses. And listen to what the Lord says through David. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now here's the question. How does God change us? That's what this prayer is all about. And to begin with, I want you to see, and I want my heart to see, that God changes us by bringing us to conviction. 
God changes us by bringing us to conviction. Uh, did you notice that Psalm 139 ends the way it began? Uh, David began, Lord, you have searched me and known me. And now he ends by saying, Lord, search me and know me. And we have to say this, if God has already searched and known David, then why would he ask the Lord to do what he's already done, right? I mean, what gives here? And what is going on is this, David had been accused of wrongdoing, and he believed that he was innocent, but he knew he did not know himself as well as God did. By the way, you know who else felt this way? Uh, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 4.4. 4. He said, I'm not conscious of anything against myself, but that doesn't acquit me, said Paul. He said, it is the Lord who judges me. And David knows his heart is deceitful. He knows that he cannot always trust himself. He knows he easily denies his sin. He covers for it. Sometimes he explains it away as not being that big of an issue. And he knows the only one's judgment that he can trust is the one who knows him thoroughly. And David is a man who desperately wants God to show him what God sees in him. You see, what David is saying here is, God, convict me. Convict me. Uh, did you see how uh, David is piling up these requests in rapid succession? There are six commands here in these two verses. Search me, know my heart, try me, know my thoughts, see me, lead me. This is an urgent appeal on the part of David. David loves God so much, he wants nothing to come in between his relationship with his Lord. There was a well-known pastor in America by the name of Roy Smith. And Pastor Smith said this. He said, no one is ever more than four steps from God. Think about that this morning. Whoever you are, whatever your circumstances, no one is ever more than four steps from God. And Pastor Smith said, the first step is conviction. The first step is conviction. You see, if something is wrong between God and us, God will convict us of it. And the first step back to God is welcoming His conviction. The first step back to God is saying, Lord, I want you to convict me. May I ask this morning, are we in sympathy with David? Does our heart beat like his? David is saying here, Lord, if you need to convict me, here I am. Please do so. Please do so. Brothers and sisters, all change starts here. All change starts here. It's when we stand before the Lord and say, Lord, here I am. If you need to convict me, please, Lord, do so. Now, it's interesting in this text that David does not only tell us what the Lord wants to do, but he tells us how he does it. He tells us how he does it. And God convicts through our conscience. Look at the end of verse 23. He says, know my thoughts. Thoughts. 
Now that is not the same uh, word in the original text earlier in which David said about God, you discern my thoughts. This is a different word in the original language. It is a word that refers to troubled thoughts. Troubled thoughts. And here's the idea. It is the processing of information which causes distress or anxiety in our hearts or our minds. So that this word troubled thoughts means the processing of information in our hearts and in our minds that leads us to distress and anxiety. May I ask you, what does that sound like to you? Doesn't that sound like the conscience? Doesn't it? And David had said, know my heart, and we all know the conscience resides in the heart. So David is describing here the working of our conscience. Do you know the word conscience comes from two words? Those two words are with and to know. And so here's what your conscience is, and here's what my conscience is. It is knowledge we have with God about ourselves. That's what our conscience is. It is knowledge that we have with God about ourselves. John Bunyan of Pilgrim's Progress described the conscience as the voice of God to our soul. Your conscience is God speaking to your soul and to my soul. Now what that tells me then is this, the way that God brings us to conviction is by speaking to our souls through our conscience. Now when I see that, clearly the conscience is very important, wouldn't you agree? And we must take very good care of the conscience. Now let me just share with you uh, a few things that the Bible says about your conscience and mine. The Bible says that we must purify our conscience by trusting Christ as Lord and Savior, Hebrews 10.22. A good conscience starts by coming to know Jesus in salvation. But then the Bible also says we must train our conscience to function effectively with God's Word. Whoever said, let your conscience be your guide... That was bad advice. The Word of God is our guide, right? And if our conscience is not following the Word of God, it will lead us astray. And so the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 8, 7, and 10, we must train our conscience to work effectively with God's Word. And then another thing the Bible says about the conscience is we must examine our conscience regularly for offenses against God and people, Acts 24, 16. One of the things we must do as Christians is on a regular basis probe the depths of our conscience for any offenses against God and people. And then finally the Bible says we must clear our conscience when we sin against God and others, Acts 24, 16, and 2 Timothy 1, 3. Now, you know what this tells me? There is no lasting change possible if we ignore or stifle our conscience. If I'm here this morning, and God's voice speaks through my conscience, and I'm stifling that, no lasting change is possible. I'm shutting up God. 
I'm saying, God, I don't want to hear from you. I'm going to ignore your voice through my conscience. And would you agree with me? There's no lasting change possible if we do that. And so we must pray with David. Lord, if I need conviction, please, please do so. Now David, in the wisdom that God gave to him, understands that conviction alone is not enough. The second thing that has to happen for us to change is repentance. Repentance. Conviction must lead to repentance. Pastor Roy Smith, again, who said, no one is ever more than four steps from God, said the first step is conviction. He said the second step is repentance. Repentance. And if conviction is not followed by repentance, there will be no action. And all of us know inaction can never lead to change. So if we do not respond to conviction by doing something about it, we will actually be in worse danger because we will harden the conscience, 1 Timothy 4.2. And a hardened conscience resists God even more. You see, it's one thing to say, I don't want to hear from you, God. I don't want to change. But if we continue to do that, we'll harden the conscience. And the result is we will resist God even more. David knew this. That's why he says here in verse 24, See if there be any grievous way in me. The word grievous way there means a hurtful way. Any wrong or hurtful habit that has become a part of our life that hurts others. Two Bible students have defined it in this way. It is a way that brings pain to others through any activity that causes pain. What is the grievous way here? It is a way that brings pain to others through any activity that causes pain. Now this morning as I look at this, I, I see some very important truths about sin in our lives that we all need to understand here. One is that sin is never isolated, is it? Sin is never isolated. And even hidden sins will eventually hurt other people and they will cause pain. In fact, the longer we keep a sin hidden, the greater the pain it will cause when it finally comes out. Sin is never isolated. It always brings pain. And then I understand a second thing here about sin in our lives. When we grieve other people with sin, we are also grieving God. David says here, God sees the grievous way. When we grieve others, we are grieving God. Young person uh, this morning, when you grieve your parents through rebellion, you are grieving God. He sees your grievous way.
families. When we grieve members of our families through selfishness or inconsiderateness, we are also grieving God. He sees it. Church members, when we grieve another church member through unkindness, we are grieving God. God sees that grievous way. Do you know the day that we make that connection in our lives is one of the most important days in our life? You see, repentance means making things right before God and also making things right with those that we have hurt. You may recall what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. He said, if you are coming to worship and you bring your gift to the altar and you realize that there is a brother or sister in Christ who has something against you, he said, leave your gift there, go your way, be reconciled to your brother or sister, make things right, and then he said, come back and present your gift. Listen to what Jesus was saying. Repentance, righting wrongs, is more important to God than coming to worship. Repentance, righting wrongs, is more important to God than coming to worship. In fact, living with a clear conscience is central to worship because a clear conscience honors God. Worship is all about honoring God. And if a clear conscience brings honor to the Lord, then to come with an unclear and unclean conscience because we have resisted doing anything about what God has convicted us over is to not worship God. Is there a child in rebellion against your parents today? Listen to your conscience. Go to them. Tell them you're wrong. Apologize. Ask them to forgive you. Is there a married couple here today who have grown hard? towards one another? As a Christian couple, you know there's not the harmony in our marriage that we ought to have. Listen to your conscience. Go to your spouse. Confess your hardness first and the things that have created hardness. Get right with them before you talk about their hardness against you. Are there families here today who have wounded other family members by unloving attitudes? There's distance between you and other family members when you know there ought to be togetherness. Listen to your conscience. Put your pride aside. Go and confess whatever part in your relationship with Him has created this distance. Listen to your conscience and seek to get it right.
Have we grieved another church member by unkindness? By things that we have said or actions that we have taken? Listen to your conscience. Go to that church member and confess that unkindness. Those words that should not have been said. Those actions that have brought pain. Listen to your conscience. You see, when we add repentance to conviction, change can happen. That's what David is saying. He is saying the hurtful ways can start to end. Don't we all long for that? Brothers and sisters, don't we? Don't we want to come to the place where the grievous ways in our lives that cause wounds and pain and hurt to others, don't we want to come to the place where we are saying to ourselves, Lord, I want it to end. I want it to end. Of course we do. Of course we do. And God is saying, here is how it happens. Conviction of the conscience, listening to that conscience, and then making it right before God and with those we have hurt. That's repentance. Now David tells us there's one more way that God changes us. It is consecration. Consecration. Look at the end of verse 24. Lead me in the way everlasting. Pastor Smith, you said, no one is ever more than four steps from God. First step, conviction. Second step, repentance. Third and fourth steps, consecration and faith. Consecration and faith. You see, once we've gotten right with God and others, then there's a renewed commitment to following Him. And what do we call that renewed commitment? Well, it's called consecration. Lord, I've been wrong. Now I want to walk in the right ways of faith. There needs to be a renewed consecration to letting the Lord take over and to start leading me again. By the way, let me ask this question here. What is the way everlasting that David talks about here? What is that? Hey, wouldn't it be better for me to say, who is the way everlasting? Are you with me? Wouldn't that be better to say, who is the way everlasting? You know John 14, 6. Let's say it together. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way everlasting this morning. Amen? He is the way everlasting. And the way everlasting here involves two things. Number one, it's the eternal life of Jesus given to all who come to him. You see, there's an initial repentance and faith when we come to Jesus for salvation. And he comes into our life and gives us the gift of eternal life. 
But secondly here, it's the way of eternal life. The life that Jesus leads us into once we now know Him. So the way everlasting here is two things. It's the eternal life of Jesus given to all who come to him in repentance and faith. And then it's the way of eternal life, the life that Jesus leads us into now that we know him. You know what David is describing? He's describing discipleship, isn't he? A disciple is a learner, a follower. Jesus said in Mark 8, 34, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's what consecration is. It's consecration to the way of discipleship. You remember what blind Bartimaeus <clears throat> did after Jesus healed him? Remember one day, Jesus was walking along, there was a big crowd, and blind Bartimaeus, the beggar, heard about Jesus. He began to call out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd said, shush, shush, Jesus doesn't have time for a worthless person like you. And Jesus stopped, said, bring him to me, and he healed him. Brothers and sisters, that's salvation. That's being made new by the power of Christ. But then you know what the Bible says Bartimaeus did? He followed him on the way. He was so grateful for what Jesus had done. He said, I'm now going to follow you. And he followed him on the way. That's what David is saying. David is telling us Jesus alone can change us and he will do so as we follow him on the way. No person is ever more than four steps from God. Conviction, repentance, Consecration and faith. And that's how God changes us if we really have come to know Him. Let's take a moment, shall we? And let's ask the Lord to burn these truths deep into our hearts. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. Just a couple of questions while we're quiet before the Lord. Have you been taking care of your conscience? Or have you ignored it for so long that it has become hardened? And grievous ways 
ways that are hurtful to others. Whether family members, whether a spouse, whether brothers and sisters in your church, continue. Even though a long time ago, God wanted to remove them from you. And then have you added action to the conviction so that you're doing something about what the voice of God is saying? And then do you know only Jesus can change you And you must be consecrated to following him on the way if he is to change your heart and life. I don't know how God may be speaking to you, but he has been speaking greatly to me. And I want to say, Lord, I'm in sympathy with David. Lord, my heart beats as his heart beats. I want to say that. I hope I'm saying that. And I want to say with David, Lord, change me. Don't leave me the way I am. Let the Lord hear your prayers today. This is one of the greatest prayers in all of the Bible. Add your prayer to it. God will be so pleased that you have. Father, hear us today. We're like David. We don't know ourselves as well as you do. We desperately need you, Lord, to look deep inside us and show us what it is that you see. And we pray today that as our prayers ascend to you, that you will do your wonderful work in our hearts. For Jesus' sake we ask it. Amen.